Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, I pray that you would make it loud to us, that it would, that, 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 that it would have authority over us, that we would come to it not merely as ink on a page, but what it is is your, your word spoken and your kindness preserved, that we might be um, trained and equipped and challenged and convicted and even rebuked, God, because ultimately you want to make us the kind of people that we were always destined to be, which is to look more like King Jesus. I pray above all things, God, that it wouldn't be about us just being stirred and us being trained and us being equipped, but we would leave this time more impressed with Jesus. Would you make him very loud during the sermon? I know he's very loud in this text. Would you make him loud during our songs? Would you make him loud in communion? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's ask you a question. If you're a Christian, how do you know that you're a Christian? How do, you, how do you really know? Can you have confidence that you are actually a Christian? Is there something beyond just saying that you are that would confirm that? The, the passage we're going to look at today, and really the, uh, a major theme of 1 John, is, is how do you know if you're a Christian? Since this whole series, Stuff Christians Do. And what we're going to see today in 1 John is one of the major tests about those that claim to be Christians. And simply, it's this, it's Christians obey God. It's how they know that they're Christians. Christians obey God. John Stott says it like this. He says, only if we obey him can we claim to know him. And one way this is really simple, Christians obey God. But applying it's really tricky. If we're honest, just taking that simple truth and applying it, there are landmines everywhere. How much obedience how consistent? How often do we keep commandments? How frequently do we, keep, do we need to keep them perfectly that we might have confidence that we're Christians and on and on and on? And we will not be able to cover every question this might raise. We're not going to be able to nuance it as well as we might like to. As part of the reason why we go through series like this and really as we go through life together, we want people to be in each other's life so that you can take Sunday and get it into Monday through Saturday in conversations with others where you get to just bring your questions up. So I'd commend that to you, but because we're not going to have time to focus on everything, we're just going to focus on three things as we talk about this relationship between like confidence or, or affirmation that we're Christians and our obedience. So we'll look at these three things. What we can't forget as we talk about this, what we can know as we talk about obedience, and how we know that we know. So what we can't forget, what we can know, and then how we know that we actually know. Wherever you are, if, if you're able, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. This is God's Christ-exalting, confirming Word for us. And by this, we know that we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him but whoever keeps his word in him truly the love of God is perfected by this we may know that we are in him whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked feel free to grab a seat here's what we can't forget as we begin this there's a lot of stuff but I'll give you two the gospel 
We cannot forget the gospel. We're at chapter two, verse three. There's material that has come in this book already. I'll just read two verses from this last week. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. This is talking about the gospel. This is talking about the, the good news of how God reconciles rebels back to him, people that were disobedient to him, how he brings them back. J.A. Packer, I'm going to quote him a number of times, but he's got one of my favorite definitions of the gospel or, or shorthanded statements. He says, God saves sinners. God, perfect, flawless, holy, 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 uh, so high the, the highest heavens can't contain him. The one who says the earth is my footstool, uh, infinitely wise, infinitely beautiful, infinitely everything. God saves, does everything from first to last for the work of Jesus Christ, the righteous, as this text says, who, who did all the obeying, who, who never misstepped. He saves sinners, people that cannot lift a hand to save themselves. God saves sinners. You gotta keep that loud as we talk about a text that's, that's inviting us to consider our degree of obedience, that God saves sinners. Tim Keller, a uh, pastor and author, uh, has influenced me probably as much as anyone and has influenced a lot of people. He has a simple formula to, when he talks about um, most world religions or, or, or really even like a secular humanistic approach to, to, to life, he, he would say that there's a, there's a fundamental operating principle behind world religions and, and really our culture at large. It's something like this. If I obey, then I will be accepted. If I do enough of the right things, if I follow the, the, the cultural perspective of what I'm supposed to do, I say that I vote the right way, I wear the right clothing, I recycle the right way, I, I drive the right uh, all-electric vehicle, I do, whatever, I do whatever my culture at large tells me I'm supposed to do, then I will actually be accepted by people. And what he goes on to say is that this is completely at odds with biblical Christianity, which would say something like this, because Christ obeyed. Therefore, I'm accepted. Or we could say it like this, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. And as we go through this sermon, as we walk through this text, you got to keep the order straight. you got to get it straight or it's going to hurt you. And this reality, this order of God's grace always going first before our obedience, God's grace always going first before our response and, and our walk and our lifestyle and texts like this, our keeping of commandments, this is not a new thing. This is from the very beginning of the Bible all the way through. One of the, one of the spots that we see this, and it's really helpful as we look at a, a text that's about our keeping commandments, is the Ten Commandments. It's in two different spots, in Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. But, but if you look at the narrative of, you go to the book of Exodus, to, before you get to chapter 20, what you see is God's people are enslaved in Egypt. And, and God comes and he intervenes by his grace, by his kindness. They didn't do anything to earn it or merit it. He just comes and he emancipates them out of slavery. He, 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 he brings all these plagues. The, the, the Israelites find, or the, the Egyptians finally let them go. As they go, the, the armies are pursuing. They, they want all their, their people back. And so they're pursuing them. And they get up to the Red Sea and God parts the sea and they come across the sea. And, and then they wander around and God eventually gives them these 10 commandments. He gives them these 10 words to say, I want you to live your life according to these commandments. Many of us are aware of some of those commandments. Um, uh, maybe we know all of those commandments. You should have no other gods before me. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't lie. Do not commit adultery. Honor your mother and your father and, and on. 
But a lot of us, when we talk about those commandments, we forget what comes right before the giving of the commandments. Here's what it says before any commandments come, Exodus 20, verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Therefore, you shall have no other gods before me. You got you to hear this order. It's God's grace of deliverance before our obedience. It's, it's his intervention before we respond. So, so keep, the, I'm, I'm spending a, a fair amount of time here because it needs to be loud. Let me give you one other thing that we can't forget, the struggle. <laughs> the struggle of the Christian life. The, the last two weeks, the sermon titles have been uh, Christian struggle with sin and Christian struggle with sin with Christ. If we go just a few verses earlier, we see this, this picture in verse 5 where it says, God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. And if we say we have fellowship with God while we walk in the darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. But then it goes on. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus is cleansed, cleanses us from all sin. It's saying like, okay, we're going to obey, we're going to obey. But then this beautiful grace reminder, verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, I mean, you just see this back and forth reality of the Christian life. Don't lose that as we talk about obedience. We'll do some more with this in a minute. Just don't forget it as we move forward. Heard a, uh, just a really great story this past week from someone that's part of our church. Um, this woman was recounting how she became a, a Christian. And the way she came to faith, she was in the, in the Brownies and the Girl Scouts, and she, was gonna get, she wanted to like get promoted to the next level. And one of the things that was saying to be confirmed into this role of being a Brownie is that you needed to be pure in thought, in, in, in word and in deed. And at 10 years old, she realized that there's no way she could be pure in thought and word and deed. And so she came to her mom and said, Mom, I know I'm not pure in thought and word and deed. What do I do? And her mom loved Jesus and, and, and shared Jesus with her. This, this kid grew up in a, in a Christian home, but at this point had not confessed faith in Christ, had not seen themselves as a sinner in need of grace. And so she said, Mom, what do I do? He said, here's what we do. Let's get on our knees and pray. And I, I don't know the exact prayer, but it's probably something like, God, I have sinned before you. Would you forgive me? I know I'm not pure in word and deed and thought. Christ, would you cleanse me? Would you forgive me? And what was great is the mom said, okay, now, is what, now what we need to do is we need to tell your pastor. So we're going to go Sunday night and after service, you're going to walk down the aisle and you're going to go and you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna, you're gonna ask for forgiveness. And you're going to tell the pastor what you've done. And so she did. And then she went on and she said, what the pastor did is he said, here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to go and read 1 John. I want you to go read 1 John. I want you to underline every single time you see the word love. And so she went and she did that. And, and then she came back and said, okay, pastor, I did that. And then he said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to read again. I want you to underline the word no. K-N-O-W. I want you to underline that word. And, and I, I heard this story. It's so great just to hear how someone came to faith. And, and one of the things I thought of was this pastor really knew what he was doing because those two words are so dominant in First John. We're going to look a lot at love next week. This week, we're looking at this word no. No is a really big word in First. John. There's two primary words that are used for no in 1 John. One of the, one of the words that means no is to, to know deeply. 
um, to perceive, to come to know. It's used 25 different times in this, in this letter. There's another word that's, that's used where it's, we come to know a fact. We know because it's self-evident, something like that, that's used 15 times, so at least 40 different uses of the word or occurrences of the word know. Um, and these words, for what, what's helpful to understand in, in verses 3 through 6 here is the word for know is, is, is not just to know details, but it's to know deeply. It's to know personally. It's to have firsthand knowledge. Um, this knowing is not facts and details. It's intimate. It's involved. Some of you may already know this, but in the Bible, the word know is used in the context of marital intimacy, where a husband and wife, they know each other. Most simply, when we look at something like 1 John, and it says, and by this we know that we have come to know him, it means knowing God, knowing God as he is, knowing who we are in light of who God is, and specifically knowing Christ as the righteous one, as the, 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 the offering for us, knowing him as Savior. It's knowing in the way this person who's part of our church came to know Christ, that we are not pure in word or deed and speech. And so we, we come and we know who he is as our Savior. The core, this is what Christianity is, to know the grace of God and the person and work of Christ. We can know Him. We can know Him that way. And what this is saying is that we can know that we know Him. We can come to know Him. This phrase in verse 3, we can come to know Him. The sense here is, is really beautiful. It means to come to a truly settled disposition of our knowledge of Christ as our Savior. It, it provides for us what, what John is he's writing in these houses. What he's trying to do is say, you can have assurance. You can have this resolved, deep, enveloped confidence that Christ is your Savior and that in Him you are forgiven, that you are accepted, that you are accepted. I love this G.I. Packer quote. There is no peace like the peace of those whose minds are possessed with full assurance that they have known God and God has known them and that this relationship guarantees God's favor to them in life through death and on forever. I love that line. And that's, what, that's what's being offered here in verse 3, that we can come to know him and know that we know him with this deep, settled confidence. There is no peace like the peace of those whose minds are possessed with a full assurance. We don't have to wonder, am, am I really saved? What's going to happen? When I, is Christ really for me? Is God really for me? Uh, like, I, I look at my life, how can, I, how can I know for sure? This is saying there's a way to know for sure. It's like, think about all the unexpected things in life, all the volatility of a market, a stock market, housing bubbles or booms or busts or whatever is happening, our our own physical uh, frailties, strength, and all of a sudden it's taken away. Friends that are so deeply committed to you and then they seem fickle. I was even thinking about this with like COVID vaccines, how, how, okay, you get get a vaccine, you do your waiting period, you're supposed to be immune, and then all of a sudden you you read some article about like breakthrough COVID cases, that it's not even a guarantee. This text is saying there is a guarantee that can be found. You know, pause and consider what, the, what it would be like to go in with this resolve, to know, to really know who Christ is, is a, is a perfect Savior. 
a father, a God who is fully committed to us in Christ, to go in, to, to face every single day with that confidence, to, to begin your day knowing, to know him and to know that you know him. To know that because Jesus obeyed, I'm accepted. Period, full stop. You know, what would it like to end what would it look like to end your worst day in light of that kind of assurance? You know, one of the things that's interesting is, is studying and writing a sermon on like obedience, like Christians obey God in light of my own disobedience. You know, what's it look like to end your worst day? Like I had one this last week with one of my kids, just harsh in word and tone. And then one of them looks at me and says, Dad, I thought in our family we like fail forward. Why do you keep bringing it up? I'm trying. And just to feel that conviction, to feel like a failure again, to feel like I sinned again, and in the place of that conviction, knowing that I'm accepted because Jesus obeyed. I used this line last week. I'm going to use it again by Rankin Wilborn. It's a great quote. God does not love us to the degree that we are like Christ. Rather, God loves us to the degree that we are in Christ, and that's always 100%. Boy, that is a really helpful reminder in a text that's talking about that Christians obey. What we come to know is that. That's what we're coming to know deeply and personally. That God with that grace through Christ who is that righteous. God does not love us to the degree we are like him. We want to be like him. Oh, goodness, I want to be like him. But that's not the degree that he loves us. I want to know that God. As we get ready to look at how we know if we know, as we begin to look at our obedience, our command keeping, I want to give one more insight that I think is helpful. G.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, um, makes what I think is a very, very helpful insight as we talk about knowing God. Here's what he says. What matters supremely, therefore, is not in the last analysis the fact that I know God, but the larger fact which underlies it, the fact that He knows me. I am graven on the palms of His hands. I am never out of His mind. All my knowledge of Him depends on His sustained initiative in knowing me. I know Him because He first knew me and continues to know me. He knows me as a friend one who loves me, and there is no moment when his eye is off me or his attention distracted from me, and no moment, therefore, when his care falters. This is how we want to know him. Listen to this last line. There is tremendous relief in knowing his love to me is utterly realistic, based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me, so that no discovery can disillusion him about me in the way that I am so often disillusioned about myself and quench his determination to bless me. We want to know that and we want to keep that loud in front of us as we move through these verses, as we go to verse four. How can we know that he knows us like that? The rest of these verses help. Let me read verse four. Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So we talk about how we know we could really get into some ditches. We could really go off the rails here. We're going to talk about obedience is, is a proof as a signpost that we actually do know God as our God. We know Christ as our Savior. But first, I want to make it plain why Christians 
as Christians still disobey God. Before we talk about how we obey him, let's still talk about why we disobey him. I'm going to do this very simply. Why do we not keep commandments the way we want to? Here's why. Because we will struggle with sin until we die or Jesus returns. You, ju- you got to accept that as we look at this. Or you're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're, you're never going to pass the test. You're never going to have these. We will struggle. Christians will struggle with sin until they die or Jesus returns. We're going to look at that in 1 John 3 that says, One day we will be like him for we shall see him as he is. Well, until that day, we're not ultimately exactly like him. We're still going to struggle. That was the context. That's why I read the verses. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We want to look like Jesus. We don't fully look like Jesus. It's, It's a battle. It's a struggle. Don't miss that. So why do Christians obey? I popped into uh, Pete Carlson's office, our community life pastor, this past week. Uh, I do this all the time when I'm doing sermon prep. I just like to ask questions and get people's like immediate response. Like, Pete, why do you obey God? And he's like, lots of reasons. <laughs> I was like, it's a perfect answer. There's tons of reasons for why we would obey God or we'd follow commands. We, we want to serve other people well. Uh, we don't want to get arrested. Uh, we like to get promotions in our jobs. We don't want to get fired. We want our kids to like us. We care what God thinks. There's a ton of good reasons for us to obey, what I'm going to try to do is draw out two that are unique to Christians in their motivation to obey that are from 1 John. Um, give you one of them. Christian, Christians obey because they can't help but obey. Behind these verses is that, that sentiment. Christians obey because they can't help but obey. We see in verse 4 the necessity of obedience. Verse 4 is the disqualification for assurance. Somebody can't have the assurance of verse 3 that says, I know him as my Savior, if their lifestyle, if their conduct is so dissonant with their confession. I'll read it again. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Um, you know, one of the things you might be is like, is John being mean? The one who wrote this, he calls people, like, if you say that you're a liar, is he being mean? Um, you know, how are we supposed to understand this? It's a pretty sharp statement. I'll, I'll give you a couple ways. I think in some ways it's supposed to be convicting and also clarifying. Um, the context of 1 John is there was false teachers that had come into the church and they began to try to, to, to confuse who Christ is and what it looks like to live as Christians. And John is writing to them to try to build them back up in the faith that they might have assurance in who Jesus actually is. Um, I was thinking about this when I was at Christ the King and I was uh, volunteer, uh, volunteering with the youth ministry. I remember having a conversation with, it was probably 11th grader or something like that, and, and he said something like this. He says, look, Rob, God knows we're teenagers and he knows we're going to sin. He's cool with it. It's like there was no hitch. There was no, stru- there was just like a, a flaunting of the grace of God. And I think what John is saying here in verse 4 is something similar to that. Like if that's how you're processing, if that's what you're saying, you should pause and be kind of concerned that you may not actually believe what you say you believe. This word keep is a really important word. It's um, a military word. It means to guard. So when we keep his commandments, it's a military word. It also means to treasure. That we treasure his word. That we treasure his commands. Um, this is about, uh, the verse four we could say, maybe it's like this, it's like a do you care sort of verse. Like, do you, do you care? Does walking in light, does walking in love, does God's authority do his words, do his commands, do they have weight in your life? 
Like, is there a desire? Um, what, you know, when, when what I desire is contrary to what God desires, is there any battle going on? Is there, is there any conflict that, that happens? It's clarifying. So it's supposed to be convicting. It's also clarifying. John, you know, in any church, there's at least four groups of people. And John, this was written to a time where it was no different. That uh, We did this uh, the first week of, of when we began this series, but there's four audiences that are hearing these words. And our church represents this. It's, it's Christians that know they're Christians and they know this assurance. It's Christians that aren't sure they're Christians. And, and John is trying to help you see that you are, that you can have that assurance. But it's also clarifying and convicting, hopefully for those, like verse 4 of people saying, I know him, but their lives look nothing like him. So there's this other group of, of people that aren't Christians but think they're Christians. And then you have those that aren't Christians and know they're not Christians. And, and, and the hope for all of them is that you realize who you are. And if you are not a Christian, that you do, it's not about doing. You go back to the gospel. You believe in what Christ has done, that you might come to know him as a God who saves sinners. Obedience is necessary. Obedience is unavoidable. You know, the, the idea that Christians can't help but obey has a, has, a, has a big truth behind it that we see multiple times in 1 John. Again, we said this before. I'm going to keep bringing this up because we've got to understand that becoming a Christian is not adopting a set of philosophies and, and, and rules for life as much as there's a transformation at a core level the Bible talks about it as going from death to life, being born again, uh, having hearts of stone be replaced with hearts of flesh, or, or this fancy theological phrase, regeneration, means to be given new life by the work of the Spirit. We see it, I'll read four different verses in 1 John where we see it. 1 John um, 2.29, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness, listen to this phrase, has been born of him. 1 John 3, 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because, listen again, he has been born of God. 1 John 4, 7, beloved, let us love one another. You hear all these, these obeying, these keeping of commands, but listen to what's behind it. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. 1 John 5, 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. What I love is what precedes our obedience in any of those verses. It's this, God's intervention to give us new life. His grace goes first. Let me give you the summary of this sermon. We obey not to get God, but because God's already gotten us. That's what this is saying, is if God's gotten you, there's going to be something that comes out of your lives. So Christians obey because they can't help but obey, but Christians also obey because they want to obey. Later in 1 John, I think one of my favorite parts of it is this little spot that, you know, this love of God that we keep his commandments in this little phrase, and his commandments are not burdensome. It's a loving father he, who designed us and knows how we operate. He's, 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 he's giving us the, the framework for how to flourish. Christians want to obey, or at least they want to want to obey. Popped into Pete's office again. His wife, Rachel, was there with her two rad sons, and she had just changed the diaper, and she's hanging out, and I probably wasn't fair. I said, why do you obey God? And she goes, because I love him. And I was like, come on. That's the answer, because I love him. 
Because I love them. There's a key question with verse 5 here. Um, and there's some, some ways that it can be applied. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. So when that phrase comes up, the love of God is perfected, does that mean God's love for us? Does that mean God's love through us to others? Or does that mean our love for God? And there's people that argue for all different. We actually see all three in 1 John. I, I would suggest that based upon the context of this, I think it's the last option. I think it's actually talking about that our love for God is perfected as we seek to follow and keep commands. Um, the way John Stott says it, the proof of love is loyalty. That one of the ways that we show that we know the God who loves us is as we love Him, we try to follow the things He's called us to obey and follow the things that He has assigned to us. Um, give you an example. Katie and I, uh, my wife and I, we went on about a week and a half ago. We got away for two whole days um, by ourselves. It was the first time in, in almost two years that we... Um, we're able to get away by ourselves without our kids. We adore our kids, but just, 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 uh, just two-day date time was just awesome. We went to Seattle. We went to a hotel. We just feasted and walked around the city, and it was phenomenal. We came home on Saturday afternoon, and our four kids had been alone for two days. Imagine what the state of the house was. But here's what was rad. Here's how awesome my kids are. We came in. Garage was completely swept out and clean. Walked into the house, every blind had been dusted, countertops in the kitchen had been, the, the granite was polished, the stainless steel was wiped down, the, vac the, the floors had all been vacuumed, the lawn had been mowed. My kids even did this, they stripped the sheets from our bed, washed the sheets, and then remade our bed. I hate doing that job. They did that job, I was blown away. My kids are just absolute rock stars for sure. They didn't do it because they were afraid of us. They didn't do it because they were trying to earn something from us. They weren't trying to manipulate us. They weren't trying to do this. I, I, I think they did. J.I. Packer has this great line that I think expresses why they did it. He says it like this. He says, for love awakens love in return. And love wants to awaken, desires to give pleasure. We obey God because we love God. He's done so much for us in Christ. We, we now out of gratitude Make it our ambition to, to please him. We obey not to get God, but because God's already got us. Christians obey because they can't help but obey, because they've been born of God. That's regeneration. But let me give you one more from verse, uh, last part of verse five and verse six. Christians obey God because they can't help but obey because they are in Christ. This is a really another beautiful theological word called union. Every time you see these like in him phrases, that's what it's talking about. In, in Christ, that we're connected with Christ. We're partnered up with Christ. We see it at the end of verse five and six. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him. It's the grace of belonging. That's what happens. Christians obey God because they belong to Christ who energizes our lives with new affections and new abilities and new longings and new legacies and new destinations. I love the way um, John in his gospel wrote this, recorded the words of Christ, talking about what it looks like to abide in him and the, the fruit that gets produced and just staying connected to Christ. John 15, three through five says this. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. 
As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Again, it's just grace. It's God's grace to save us and God's grace to change us. God, with the initiative, already you're clean because of the word. We don't obey so that we're accepted. We're accepted, therefore we obey. We're, We're born again by the work of God. We're united with Christ and as we stay connected to Christ, that's what this verse is saying. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. If we're abiding in Christ, we're gonna start to walk the way he walked. We have this grace of of belonging, which gives us the grace of beholding. We go through our lives trafficking with Christ and we begin to see what Christ would do and that begins to influence us. This is is the the benefit of peer pressure. This is the benefit of being exposed to to the actions and and activity of someone else. Well, when that becomes Christ, what happens is we start to, we get loved by Christ well and and we get spoken by Christ well. He uses his words well and he uses, he he shapes us well and, and we begin to talk like he talks and we begin to act like he acts. So we have this partnership. There's one last thing to address though. It's a big one. And I've hit it already. I want to hit it again as we finish a sermon title, Christians Obey God, is this. How much obedience? How constant? We know Christians still sin. They struggle with it. Hope you know that perfection is a future thing, not a right now reality. And many of us are still honestly asking, if this, pa- this passage about assurance, can we actually have it? Like when we ask these sorts of questions. Um, as always, grammar helps. I love, I love grammar, not when I was actually an English student, but when I started learning the Bible, because it really, really helps. The, the, the verb tense in this text is present. It's what's known as present. So it's, it would be something like this, keeping commandments. Keeping commandments, abiding in Christ. It's this ongoing activity. And what it's talking about is not, not um, perfection, but patterns. It's talking about the manner of life. Is there like a style that you can look to? Um, Look at the pattern of your life. Patterns, not perfection. That's what it's looking at. Um, I came across this uh, story this last week, and it was about this young girl who was shopping with her mom. And they're in a department store, and the girl had kind of wandered off by herself, and she saw this doll she really wanted. And so she took the doll, and she stuck it underneath her coat. She began to walk around with her mom again, and and she began to feel guilty. And so she slipped away from her mom, went back to the spot where she had taken the doll, and she put the doll back. And then she went back to her mom, and as they're still walking around, she just continued, to, she still couldn't let go of what she, she did, and so she said, she said Mom, um, she goes, uh, I, I feel really bad. I don't think I broke one of the commandments, but I think I cracked one. <laughs> This is funny. And then the commentary was like, you know what? Sometimes as Christians, we break commands and sometimes we crack them. But what's the pattern? What's the pattern of our lives? Like what that girl expressed, that's, that, is, that is biblical Christianity. Like here's, ah, I got these competing desires. I don't feel good about doing this thing that I know is not right. So eventually she, she comes to some awareness and she puts it back. She tries to make it right. She confesses. I just encourage you, ask yourself, if you want to know, if you know him, ask yourself this, what's the trajectory of my life? What do I do when I realize I'm not walking with Jesus the way I want to? 
You know, do I care? Or, or maybe this, do I, do I at least want to care? Do I want to want to obey him? You could ask other people this. Sometimes seeing it ourselves can be very hard. So it's, ask, ask others to say, what's the trajectory? What's the pattern? What's, what do you see more often than not? I was thinking about this a lot. There's a, there's a helpful way. It's like when you look at your life and you sit there and you say like, am I, am I, can I say with confidence that I know Christ? When I look at my life, I think there's a, there can be a danger. If you take a snapshot approach, you, it depends on which moment you looked at. You know, even a broken clock is, is right twice a day, right? You can look at moments of your life and it looks like you're obeying. You can look at moments of your life and it looks like you're disobeying. It's like I thought about this last year. I've been on video more than I've ever thought I would ever be on, on video. And I can't figure out why every time someone like in the church, they post something for social media or like a clip from a sermon. It's always me going like, or like, I'm kind of like, I don't think I look that way that often, but it's always the clip because it's just the snapshot. It's just the one frame. So you look at the snapshot, you look at like a documentary. Someone's going to follow you around for 50, 60, 70, 80 years. What's the dominant note? What's the trajectory of your life? Does it look like you care? Does it look like you want to care? Does it look like you're trying, you're stumbling, but you're trying? Does it look like you're trying to express love for God even when you fail? Then texts like this might be for you. Let me, let me, I'll end quickly with this. Um, out of a book called Accidental Pharisees by Larry Osborne, he, he has this little line at the beginning of it that I think is really helpful for us as we're asking this question of our trajectory and we're trying to look at like, well, how much sin or how much obedience or how much, let me just end with this. He says it this way. He says, a booklet that recently came across my desk, put it this way. Plainly put, a relationship with Jesus requires absolute, undivided, exclusive affection. Osborne goes on, he says this, so there's no relationship with Jesus unless he has our absolute, undivided, exclusive affection? Absolute, undivided, exclusive? If that's true, there's going to be a lot of Christians in hell, an awful lot. Thanks be to God that that's actually not what biblical Christianity is. That's not reality. That's not even these few verses in 1 John chapters 1 and 2. The reality is that a relationship with Jesus only happens because he has absolute, undivided, and exclusive affection. As we end a sermon on Christians obeying, it's really good news. For people that want to obey, that strive to obey, and still struggle to obey. We obey not to get God, but because God's already got us. Let's pray. Father, I, I, I pray with the different audiences that can hear this, that you, through the work of the Spirit, that you, you convict where you need to convict, you clarify where you need to clarify, you comfort where you need to comfort, that you would, you would help us be vigilant and not flipping the order. We do not obey, so we're accepted. We're accepted, and out of that comes all sorts of change in our lives. Help us to look at the patterns, to not look at just the instances. Help us to look at patterns, not, not only count perfection. That's a fool's errand that will never, it'll never give us any assurance. And that's what you want from a text like this, is that we might know if we're in Christ, that we know we're in Christ. Thank you that your love for us does not rise and fall in step with our degree of obedience or disobedience. 
the end of the day, help us remember this. God saves sinners. Jesus Christ, you are our righteousness. Help us never take our obedience more seriously than your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.